Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the leaders here at Antioch Church. And uh, yeah, as it was mentioned, we're in the middle of our, well, not in the middle, we're just about at the end of our Advent series. And so for the last four Sundays, uh, we've been wrestling with uh, this question, what does the incarnation, right, what does God becoming human teach us about who God is? And over the first two Sundays of Advent, uh, Pete walked us through discovering how the incarnation reveals that God is on one hand, self-limiting, and then on the other hand, compassionate. And then last week, we had a bit of a break from the series. Jill Briscoe was with us. It was a pretty amazing Sunday, huh? How many of you guys enjoyed that? How many of you enjoyed hearing from Yeah, so good, so good. I loved it too. Jill, uh, if you don't know, is absolutely brilliant. She is world-class. Uh, she's a world-renowned speaker and author and missionary. And this week, you get me. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Wow, wow, yeah. I don't know whether to apologize or thank you or what, but um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. This is my second time now preaching at Antioch. Um, the first time I preached was the week after Jerry Root was with us. Now I get to follow Jill Briscoe, so I'm noticing a bit of a theme. Thank you, Pete. Uh, guys, Christmas is two days away, right? Crazy, crazy. And, uh, and because it's two days away, some of you guys are stoked, you're super excited, and others of us are incredibly stressed, like beyond stressed out. In reality, most of us probably feel a mixture of both of those things. Because as we all know, right, Christmas is uh, it's something of a mixed bag for us, isn't it? Like on the one hand, Christmas is great. And it's exciting and it's fun. And this is very sentimental time. It just brings up like all of the feels, right? We get all of the feels at Christmas time. On the other hand, uh, if we're honest... Christmas is also kind of a mess. You know what I'm talking about? It's a season of, of total chaos. We're all busy and we've got things that we're doing with friends and then we've got family obligations, right? Our schedules this time of year are insane. Uh, in addition to that, a bunch of people at Christmas time are racking up debt, right? To buy presents, which then turn into a literal mess of wrapping paper and ribbons and whatever else in our house. I don't know if, if you got, any of you guys are hosting a Christmas meal, but after the, the Christmas dinner, it always looks like a tornado destroyed your kitchen, right? Like it's... It's a mess, and then in an instant, it's over, right? I don't know for you guys, but every year for me on the 26th, I like take a deep breath and then think, oh my gosh, is this done already? <laughs> like, like this just, it flew by, it was sheer chaos, and now it's just, it's over, and I have to go back to work, right? And so Christmas is great, Christmas is also a mess, and uh, I bring this all up because I have come to believe that one of the things that we learn about God through the incarnation, through the advent, through the Christmas story, is that he is the God of the mess. The God of the mess. Now, I hope that doesn't strike you as uh, sounding irreverent or, or disrespectful, um, but I do hope that it is challenging for you. I think so often people, I think our culture, tends to associate God and God's things and God's people with, uh, not with the mess, but with the clean and the tidy, right? The nice and the neat, the pleasant and the pious. You know, the more that, the more that I find myself diving into the gospel, the less that I believe that's true. I think he's the God of the mess, and so that's what I want to look at with you this morning. And I want to highlight three things in particular, okay? 
is the God of the mess. What we see is, is first of all, that Jesus came from a mess. Secondly, Jesus came into a mess. And thirdly, Jesus came for the mess. He came from a mess, came into a mess, and came for the mess. Uh, but before we get any further, um, let me pray for us. And we'll dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, it is a delight, uh, it is a privilege to gather together this morning as your people, as your sons and daughters, and to look uh, at your story together. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would send your spirit to be with us, the same spirit that inspired uh, these writings from scripture thousands of years ago. God, by that same spirit, would you inspire our reading and our understanding uh, of your word this morning, not just in a way that fills our minds and thoughts with interesting or intriguing ideas, but, but actually does the deeper work of transforming our hearts and lives. So we invite you, God, make your presence known in our midst and use this morning, God, for your glory and for our good. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First observation I mentioned Jesus came from a mess. How about that scripture reading? I think actually we should applaud for Pat, right? That was amazing. He did a good job. Uh, Matthew 1, 1 through 16. Did you guys enjoy that? <laughs> you, can, you can be honest. Uh, yeah, it was it riveting for you. No. No, right? I was just being honest about it. Like this is the part of the Bible uh, that is just sort of generally accepted that it's okay if you skip over it, right? Just like skip the weird list of names and get to the good stuff. It's the fascinating and exciting realm of ancient Hebrew genealogy, <laughs> right? Um, I'd actually like to suggest to you this morning um, that this is the good stuff. This passage, uh, while you might think it's just like dry, a dry list, it's actually quite, quite juicy. And, and here's the deal. Um, Matthew's original readers, like the ancient Jewish audience that first wrestled with, with this writing, for them, this list would have been shocking. It actually would have been appalling. And it would have been nothing if not messy. You know, genealogies are a bit of a, probably a bit of a cultural disconnect for most of us today. I mean, some people um, maybe enjoy or appreciate them as a hobby. I know my grandma does. She loves trying to trace the family line back as far as she can. She's a member of ancestry.com or whatever. Um, but for the most part today, we would say that, that sort of the study of our genealogies is at best um, interesting, but we would also say that it's not super important for our functioning in society today. But you see, in the, in the ancient Near Eastern world, in the Bible times, your genealogy was of absolute importance. Because you see, your genealogy back then, it wasn't just a list of, of old relatives. Rather, really, it was treated like your resume. You think about it that way. Your genealogy was your resume. Now, most of you likely uh, have had to create a resume at some point in time in your life, right? And if you were any good at creating a resume, then it means that you have learned the skill of, of fine-tuning or, or tweaking your resume in order to make yourself look as good as possible, okay? So I'm not saying that you lied on your resume. What I'm saying is that, is that you learned the skill of doing some minor adjusting and maybe some strategic omitting in order to tailor your resume to the job that you're wanting, right? 
an exhaustive list, like a completely honest and total resume, very rarely ever serves people well. So I spent some time on the Google this week, and uh, I, I Googled bad resumes, and I recommend this for all of you. <laughs> if you want to have a good time uh, and enjoy some light reading, Google bad resumes. But I actually found one, and I wanted to, to share it with you because I think that it helps to make my point here about bad resumes. So here it is. I just circled the important part. A person being brutally honest. This is an actual resume. Marijuana dealer and nefarious dude from 1999 to 2004 in the greater Nashville area. And then his skills listed under it are amazing. It says, intuitive understanding of supply and demand economics. Good with money. I ran my own delivery service. I had a consistent clientele with high customer satisfaction. Gained an intimate access to several very exclusive county jails and learned a valuable life lesson. It's amazing, right? <laughs> what a resume, what a resume. On a resume, you put your best foot forward, right? Attempting to look as good as you possibly can. Now, here's the deal. In Jesus' day, this was the same. But you see, instead of polishing your resume, people actually polished their genealogies. And so we actually have multiple uh, historic records, historic accounts of people who made it into positions of great power and influence, but did so by doctoring their genealogy, polishing their resume. Herod the Great, for example, uh, is, is one of these. Intentionally doctored his genealogy in order to omit some family members who would have brought shame and scorn and embarrassment on his reputation. This is something that happened all the time. Now here in Matthew's gospel, what we are given effectively is Jesus' resume. And at first glance, it's pretty impressive, right? Like if you just look at verse 1, it's amazing. Verse 1 says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We read that and think, wow, right? Really? Like Abraham and David? Like those are some pretty powerful names, right? They're two of the most famous people in the entire Bible. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty good resume. A pretty good resume. But then if we keep reading, we realize that this list very quickly takes a very shocking turn. Said differently, it gets very, very messy for a whole number of reasons. Firstly, this list gets messy because it includes women, okay? Now, there's a total of five women that are listed in this genealogy, and, and for the original readers, this would have been uh, staggering, shocking. You have to remember, Jewish society, especially at, at this moment in history, was brutally patriarchal, right? Like men had all of the power, they had all of the rights, they had all of the status, etc. Women had, I mean, effectively nothing. Women were viewed as sort of uh, sub-members of society. Very few women were ever educated, very few women allowed to work or had really any rights. Women's testimonies wasn't uh, permissible in courts, right? We put it this way, they were treated as property, not as people, okay? It's brutal. But one place you would never find a woman was in a Jewish genealogy. 
the fact that women are included in this lineage would have been unheard of. Like, this, you don't do that. You don't do that. But then secondly, you see, it, it, it's not simply the presence of women on this list that is shocking. It's also the specific women on this list who are shocking. Their individual stories are crazy, <laughs> like salty. I'll call them salty. These are some salty grandmas of Jesus. Uh, I want to just very briefly take a look at, at their stories, okay? The first woman that we come across in the list, verse 3, is this lady named Tamar. Now, here's the deal. You can go read her story in its entirety in Genesis chapter 38, but you have to read it on your own time because I can't read it without blushing, right? That's the truth. It, it's a pretty R-rated story, to be honest. It reads a bit more like, uh, like George R.R. R. Martin than it reads like Moses, okay? Uh, but I'm going to give you just the brief summary here, like the PG, maybe PG-13 version. Uh, here you go. Tamar. After having been married to each of two brothers, neither of whom were able to help her conceive a child and both of whom wound up dead, Grandma Tamar dresses up like a cult prostitute. A cult prostitute. Apparently dressing up like a normal prostitute wasn't going to cut it. Uh, cult prostitute in order to disguise herself, right? And then while disguised, she seduces her father-in-law into impregnating her. Then she also steals a bunch of his stuff and later uses it to blackmail him. <laughs> okay? Uh, so that's Jesus' great-grandma, Tamar, <laughs> uh, an incestuous thief, and a role-playing blackmailer. Grandma Tamar. All right, next we get to Rahab. Rahab, we meet in verse 5. You can read her story in the book of Joshua, chapter 2 and chapter 6. She shows up. Uh, Grandma Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She actually was a prostitute. Um, uh, but then more than that, she was from Jericho. I don't know if you remember the story, but Jericho was this uh, fortress military city, and it was the fortress military city of, of Israel's greatest enemy at the time. And so we wonder, how did she make it into this story? Well, here's how. turns out Rahab chose to betray her people for the sake of her own skin, betray her town for the sake of her family. And so not only was she an enemy prostitute, Rahab was also an accomplice to the mass murder of her entire hometown. That's pretty dark, Grandma, <laughs> right? Like, that's a, that's a salty story. Next in line, we meet Ruth. Ruth also shows up in verse 5. Ruth, actually, Ruth was awesome. Uh, Ruth was a neat lady. She was a woman of deep faith and, and, and character, but the mark against her in the eyes of the Jewish people uh, was that she came from bad stock. You see, she was, a, she was a Gentile, a non-Jew. She was a foreigner with foreign gods. In addition to that, she was crazy poor and lived in, in unbelievable poverty, right? And so a foreigner worshiping foreign gods and impoverished, that's not a bright spot on your resume. She's a controversial presence. Controversial presence. Fourthly, uh, verse 6 <laughs> Oh, man. I love how this is worded, by the way. Uh, tell me if anything strikes you as odd 
or problematic with this description, with this text, right? And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. What? <laughs> like, did you, did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah, so David has this baby by the wife of another man. Whoops. Whoops. Of course, if you know the story, this text is referring to Bathsheba, but interestingly, uh, Matthew doesn't mention her by name here, does he? Rather, Bathsheba is simply identified by this sin that was committed against her, committed with her. Ouch, right? I'd hate to be remembered by my greatest sin. If you recall the story, uh, it's not only a story of adultery either. There's also this wild conspiracy to commit murder at the end of which uh, Bathsheba's first husband dies and she marries up. Big time. Went from being married to a soldier to being married to the most wealthy and powerful man in the world. Finally, we get to the last woman on the list, Mary. In verse 16, Mary, the pregnant teenager, claiming immaculate conception while everyone else is thinking, yeah, right, Mary. Yeah, right, Mary. Just look at your family history, Mary. (laughs) Clearly, the men of this line have a type, Mary, and it looks like you're no exception. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, Mary. These women in this family line aren't exactly beacons of of morality and purity and chastity and class, Mary. Realize that this this pregnancy for her out of of wedlock would have been uh, very controversial, very, very messy. And so there you have it. That's Jesus' resume. It's quite a list. Adultery, murder, theft, incest, prostitution, gold digging, sketchy teenage pregnancies, and idolatrous Gentiles, right? Unclean outsiders. Wow. (laughs) And that's his genealogy. In all of its brutal honesty, that's the mess that Jesus is coming from. But as I suggested earlier, uh, Jesus didn't just come from a mess, he also came into a mess. He came into a mess. See, for centuries, the Jewish people had been waiting uh, for the arrival of their great Messiah, right? This, this king of kings who would, who would bring salvation and who would bring freedom from their oppressors and who would one day rule the world in glorious dignity and, and with great esteem. That's what they were waiting for. Do you realize that on Christmas Day, this Messiah, this Savior and Lord, was born into the bloody straw of a feed trough. It's shocking. It's not very dignified, is it? It doesn't seem like a very prestigious or or glorious entrance. No. 
No, it's shocking. It's, it's almost offensive. It's a very messy, humble beginning. I think that, I think that to, probably to an unhelpful degree, our culture has sort of sentimentalized the nativity. Do you know what I mean? We've sentimentalized it. Like we've cleaned it up. We've taken this messy story and, and, and we've sanitized it and we've reduced it to this really cozy, sweet little scene where like everyone has a halo and everyone's smiling. And I'd just like to suggest that, uh, I mean, I don't think anything could be further from the truth, right? While I love the song, I love this, the Christmas song, uh, every time we sing the song Silent Night, holy night, all is calm. I think to myself, are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you kidding? Just to get personal for a moment, I attended the birth of each of my four children, and none of those experiences were silent or calming, right? (laughs) Like, that's just, that's not how it goes. I actually have, I actually have evidence of this, um, getting really personal. Carrie and I actually videotaped all four of our deliveries. I'm not sure why we did that, and I don't recommend it, for the record. Like, yeah, I don't think it's something you need to do. Uh, But my wife, if you don't know, she's a midwife, and so she's like totally into that sort of thing, you know, childbirth and witchcraft and whatever. Um, Several years ago, we had some really good friends who were expecting their first, and they had no idea what to expect, and so they actually watched one of our birth videos, right? And uh, they described the sounds that they heard, the sounds of labor. They described it as sounding like a tennis match between Venus and Serena Williams, which I can attest to is an amazingly accurate description, (laughs) like just grunting and yelling and screaming and... Like, and that was all just for me, right? Like, that wasn't even Carrie. That, she took it to a whole nother level. Like, it, it's chaos. It's chaos, right? Seriously, though, um, childbirth is uh, messy. <laughs> it's a messy, uh, beautiful, but painful uh, reality for anyone. But the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth, it took it to a whole nother level, right? It's like a hundred times worse. You imagine... Delivering a baby where animals delivered their babies, right? That's messy. And, and the reality is the story just gets weirder. It just gets messier from there because it's not just the, the, the environment of the birth itself uh, that, that makes this messy. It's also the, the company that was a part of this birth picture. <laughs> In fact, when you think, about it, the same, the same radical inclusivity of messy people that we found in Jesus's genealogy seem to carry uh, the same radical inclusivity seems to carry itself right over into the birth story as well, which is interesting. When my kids were born, uh, one of my responsibilities, really one of my only responsibilities, uh, was to run interference. You know what I mean? And so I, it was like, it was my job to decide which visitors that we would let into the room at which times. And so I had to do my best to be thinking through like, what does Carrie need right now? Does she just need to rest or is she ready for visitors or how is baby doing? Is this a good time? Like, do we really want to let 
that weird uncle in the room or do we just keep him out, right? Um, I was running interference. I don't know if this was Joseph's job. If so, I'm gonna say he dropped the ball, <laughs> right? I am trying to imagine how the conversation would have gone down with Mary. I imagine him like shaking her awake in the middle of the night after having delivered and saying, Mary, there are some shepherds here, <laughs> right? Yeah, they wanna see your baby, <laughs> right? Uh, no, I don't know them. I've never met them before. Yeah, I know, yes, yeah, they're homeless. They're homeless nomads, they're vagabonds, yes, and they smell like sheep, I get it. I know, it's the middle of the night. But they said they saw an angel, so I'm gonna let them in, <laughs> right? Like, come on in, guys, meet my wife and my baby. Meanwhile, she's exhausted, right? Absolutely finished. She's just delivered a human baby from her body, right? And, and, and now she's doing all of that early mom stuff, like she's trying to learn, she's trying to figure out how to nurse a baby, uh, which is hard work, by the way. And, uh, and it could be pretty awkward. It's certainly not a very discreet process or, um, yeah, a modest thing. Now she's having to do all of this with strange men in the room, right? Like, poor Mary. What a weird, what a weird situation, right? And then before long, Joseph does it again. He's like, hey, Mary, we've got more company, right? There's several finely dressed gentlemen from the Orient. Um, they said they followed a star to get here. They also said they'd give us gold to hold the baby, so... Bring them in, right? Bring them in. Um, this isn't a clean story. This is my point, right? Like, uh, this isn't a sanitized, tidy, cute little situation. It's certainly not very sentimental. It's messy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's crowded and noisy. It's exhausting and overwhelming. And yet, yet there's Jesus right in the middle of it. Not sheltered from the chaos, not uh, distant uh, or distinct from the mess. Rather, he came into the mess. And this weird, strange little group of people worshiped him. Honestly, this, this whole scene, is, is, it feels a little bit familiar to me. Um, simply because I think this whole, this whole scene seems a lot more like some of those weird, crazy, chaotic, like family Christmas parties that many of us are used to. It's probably actually more like that than we'd like to admit, right? There's always someone there who you wish wasn't, or a relationship in the family that you're struggling with. Like everyone is sort of exhausted because it's Christmas time. There's a baby that won't stop screaming. <laughs> There might not be animals, but the kids are running around like animals, right? Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just ask or maybe challenge you. In the midst of your chaos this Christmas, are you making space to recognize and worship Jesus? In the, in the middle of the mess, or are you just like, you're just trying to survive it? Are you making space to recognize and worship Jesus in the middle of your chaos? 
I'll let you wrestle with that. Yeah, so that was just his birth. That was just, that was just the arrival. Uh, in reality, things continued to get messier from there because D- Jesus didn't just come from a mess, right? And he didn't just come into a mess. Ultimately, Jesus came for the mess. The th- first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived in relative obscurity. Nobody really knew who he was. He's the, the son of a simple carpenter. He's learning his dad's trade, whatever. Uh, it took 30 years before he began his public ministry. But once he did, do you remember the people that he surrounded himself with? You remember? Like, who, who, who were they? Who were his friends? Who did he associate himself with? Messy people, right? Messy people. Sinners and prostitutes and adulterers and thieves. The poor and uneducated or undereducated, right? Fishermen. How about the vulnerable and the undervalued women? He associated himself with the sick and the hurting, the lonely and the lost. These were his friends. Just one example that we find. In Luke chapter 19, we read of the interaction that Jesus had with this guy who was a known thief. He was a corrupt tax collector. His name was Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus had robbed and cheated his way to great affluence and to great riches, and he did it by exploiting the poor, okay? He was a bad dude. Do you know what Jesus said to him? He said this. He said, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save who? The lost. Yeah. Came to seek and save the lost. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I came for the mess. I came for the mess. And I'm bringing salvation. Even you, Zacchaeus, can have a place in my family. Even you, a criminal. Uh, You can't study Jesus' life for very long before realizing that Jesus didn't just come for the prim and the proper, right? He didn't just come for the clean and sober, for the the put together and the righteous. He came for everybody. He came for the messed up and the messy people. (laughs) He came for the messed up and the messy, much to the chagrin of the religious pious elites, by the way, who constantly just threw accusations and shade his way, constantly, right? In Luke chapter five, Jesus responds to their accusations. He says, well, hold on, guys. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, right? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so here's the thing. When we look back at at the genealogy that starts Matthew's gospel, but look at it through the context of Jesus's life and actions and relationships, when we look back at that genealogy through through the lens of, of the people that Jesus surrounded himself with, the people that he came for, oh man. Well, then all of a sudden that genealogy starts to make sense, doesn't it? All of a sudden, 
we start to get it. Because at first, we, we, we read that genealogy, and, and, and the only thought that's going through my mind was, why not edit this thing, right? Like, why not clean this up? Why not polish the resume, buddy? Like, why, Matthew, why not just leave out all of the sketchy bits and the sketchy people, make them look a little better? Why are you willingly associating Jesus with such a mess of sinful, broken people? Why not bury this truth? It's very inconvenient. People do that all the time. Today, our leaders, politicians, do this stuff all the time, right? Why not do that, Matthew? And here's what I've come to discover. I think that Matthew wasn't just communicating a genealogy. I think Matthew was setting the stage. I think he was setting the tone, if you will, not only for Jesus' arrival, but ultimately for Jesus' entire life, right? And so said differently, why willingly associate Jesus with all of these crazies in his lineage? Man, because it's the same kind of people that he'd spend his life associating with and ultimately saving. You know, as simple as it sounds, uh, I think if there's one thing that we should learn from, from the God of the mess, right? If there's one thing we should take away from his messy genealogy and his messy birth and, and, and his messy life and the, his messy reputation, it's this. It's this. Nobody is too dirty. Nobody is too broken. Nobody is too messy to be a part of Jesus' family. In some sense, his family are just the people who have chosen to stop hiding their mess and instead took it to Jesus. Who went to him with their mess and admitted their sin and admitted their need and accepted his free gift of gracious salvation. This gift that he's offered to everyone, by the way, which is incredibly good news for us, isn't it? It's good news for us. It's good news for us because if we're honest, man, we are the mess. We are the messy, the broken, the sinful, the needy. <laughs> we're a hot mess, my friends. And we are a dearly loved mess. Amen. We are the mess that Jesus came for that we might repent, that we might believe, and so that we might become a part of his messy, beloved family for eternity. <laughs> and do you realize that, uh, that only Jesus, like only the God of the mess can actually make that happen, right? Can actually bring us in. Because you, because you see, uh, at the end of these years of active ministry in his life, Jesus took our mess, and did what? He made his way to the cross with it. The cross where he became the mess for us. This mess of a broken body and spilled blood. Paul says it this way, where he, where he became sin for us so that we might receive, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
No effort on our part can earn this. <laughs> no amount of, uh, of, of polishing or, or cleaning or tidying up can make us worthy. It's only by his grace. The gift of Jesus' life that we can become his. We receive that life. Will you receive that life? I want to leave you with a uh, quote from Timothy Keller. It says this, Christmas does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The message is instead, things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark and nevertheless, there is hope. Will you let Jesus be your hope? Will you turn to him with your mess and with your life and say yes? I pray that you will. I pray that you will. All right, guys, that was kind of a weird Advent sermon. I know. Uh, I... (laughs) talked about prostitution and childbirth and a lot about sin. So Merry Christmas. (laughs) Um, I get that it was heavy. And uh, also, I think that it needs to be sometimes. Like, I think that this is the, I think this is the darkness that precedes the dawn. And, uh, and so, yeah, my, my, prayer for all of us this week, myself included, is that we would take this to heart and that we would allow this story and these words to cast our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the God of the mess, because we need him, right? Man, we need him. And the good news of Christmas is that we got him. We got him. Amen? Amen. We're going to take some time now uh, to respond uh, to the good news of the gospel uh, with worship. And so as the band makes their way out, I'd like to invite you guys, can we stand together? I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge uh, your great goodness to us this morning. And the great goodness that you showed us uh, in in sending your son uh, as not only the gift that we want, but as the gift that we need. And Jesus, we're thankful uh, that you didn't uh, keep yourself separate from the mess, but you dove in (laughs) headfirst and uh, came to us messy, broken people who live in desperate need of you. You are Savior, you are King and Lord. We love you, and we thank you. Help us remember you today and the next day and the next day. Enter the mess and chaos of Christmas and captivate our minds and hearts. May we be centered on you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.